Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. And today we have a really close friend and colleague, Stuart Ablon, who has come out with a new book, Changeable. How Collaborative Problem Solving Changes Lives at Home, School, and at Work. So, two issues. What's the story behind Changeable? And I'm sure everybody would really want to know what is collaborative problem solving? So, so let me answer in the reverse order. Okay. So uh, collaborative problem solving, as you both know, I think, it's an approach to helping understand and change people who have really challenging behavior. And Such it's, as, give me an example. Well, so we started off working with really challenging kids, kids who are sort of more explosive, so aggressive, defiant kids that are really hard to manage. So you run out of mac and cheese and they pull a knife and chase you around the kitchen. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, oh, these no, are the kids exactly. we see. These that's are right. the kids. These yeah. are the kids that, that, that actually make the teachers and parents they make go, law enforcement bananas. I mean, they go crazy. Yeah, they yeah. do. And so it, whether it's in homes or schools or treatment facilities or uh, correctional facilities, you name it, a whole set of, subset of kids who behave in very challenging ways when adults try to get them to comply with different expectations and rules and things like that. Again, whether it's a kid in our own home or a kid in one of these treatment settings. And we really developed a pretty novel way, I think, of understanding what's going on for these kids and as a result, how to work with them and how to help them. And so what this book, Changeable, is about is over the years, almost sort of two decades now of doing this work in all kinds of different settings with the most difficult kids in the most difficult circumstances, we sort of realized that the tenets we're talking about and the basic process, it's applicable to any situation where anyone isn't behaving in the way that somebody else might hope they would, or even you yourself has goal, your goals for yourself, expectations you have for yourself or others have for you, and whether that's you know, in your own home or in your workplace or even frankly on the world stage, I think what we've learned working with the most difficult kids in the difficult, most difficult situations is applicable everywhere there's disagreement, um, conflict, or people behaving in ways that we're not so wild about. So how is your model different than the more traditional models of, say, getting a kid to do something. Like you want your kid <laughs> right. to, you, you want your kid who's kind of like, you know, angry, irritable, to kind of like, you know, sit down at the dinner table or right. walk the dog or do a chore. Yeah. And all you get is like, no way. Right. And, and first, I want to just be clear, as we're talking about this, we're talking about kid, you could substitute any word in it. You could say... President, my, uh, for, for example. Not that I would <laughs> ever you could do make that. a political comment. You could say spouse, partner, colleague, boss, mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Medical um, student. You name Sibling. it, right? But I yeah. think what makes our approach really fundamentally different is that there's a philosophy behind it. And the philosophy is really that all of us are actually trying our best to do our best in the world. And if we're not meeting other people's expectations, if we're not behaving well, it's not because we don't want to. That it's actually not a lack of will that leads to challenging behavior. It's a lack of skill. And particularly what we found working with these kids, and frankly, 50 years of research in the neurosciences has shown, is that people who struggle with their behavior, they struggle with certain skills 
related to things like flexibility and frustration tolerance and problem solving. Mm -hmm. And these are, if you want to use a fancy word, we call neurocognitive skills. And the good thing about skills is was that... The was the fancy word skills or neurocognitive? <laughs> uh, neurocognitive. Neuro okay, good. But if I want to make it less fancy for you, Steve, you yeah. could just call them thinking skills. They, thank you for that, <laughs> Stu. And, uh, and here's, a, here's an, another analogy that I think is going to be helpful. We like to think of it like a learning disability, where you know, years and years ago, we misunderstood kids who struggled to read. We thought they were lazy or dumb. Mm -hmm. And we realize now, actually, ironically, those kids are trying harder than anybody else to read. Yeah, their brains just don't yeah. work. Because it doesn't come way. naturally right. yeah. to them. Yeah. The same is true with people who don't behave in the ways that we want. Right. Um, they actually, believe it or not, try harder to behave themselves well because it doesn't come naturally. They struggle with some of these skills. And when I say they, the other word we can um, substitute is we. we. Yeah, yeah. Every single say, one like, of us yep. has skills in those areas that we struggle with more than others. And, and, and you know, the. Uh, the evolutionary biology piece of this is really interesting because there, there is so much evidence that we would much rather get along than not get along. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, we know this, and we, we're, we're into self-other. We, we create these divisions. But even within those circles that we create, folks run into trouble, and yet we know that we're trying our damnedest That's to right. be a pack. But when people don't behave well, we lose sight of that. But you know, and this is a, when parents, you know, any of us, the reason we lose sight of this, we get frustrated. When somebody's not doing something we want them to do, we get frustrated. We lose our own ability to think straight. And then frankly, we look for a little vengeance. So we decide, you know what, they must be being a pain in the ass on purpose. And the answer wait, to wait, this- Wait, wait, have we ever said ass on air? Have we? <laughs> we can say that. Okay, yes. keep going. I okay. get the sense you've done yeah, we worse. Could, yeah. um, <laughs> Hell no, go ahead. Sorry. And if, if people don't do what we want, what we do is we resort to rewards, punishments, incentives. Mm -hmm. We try to motivate people to behave better, which works great if the reason they're not behaving well is because they lack the motivation yeah. to do well. As you That's were saying, really we don't buy it. That's a rare phenomenon. So, so I, I gave the example of the kid that didn't want to do his chores, who didn't want to yeah. walk the dog, and, that, and, and you went and said, well, some of these kids just don't have the skills. The parents don't have the skills either, right? I mean, parents have need their own set of skills because they may be using a wrong set of skills or they may be using an incorrect set of skills. Is that fair? Well, I, I would say they use approaches that they've been taught. And, and I mean, our own field, psychology and psychiatry, is extremely guilty of helping adults misunderstand these kids and having the wrong ideas of how to contend with them. And we, we have a long history of blaming parents and assuming that parents have been too passive and permissive and stuff like this. And this leads to challenging behavior. And, you know, look, I, I say to myself, <laughs> there's so many instances of us blaming parents and being wrong, right? Like, remember the notion of the refrigerator mother yeah. who was thought to cause autism? And now you fast forward 20 years and it's nonsense. And we blamed a generation of moms for autism. Yeah, I actually think it's the same when it comes to challenging kids. We think these parents aren't being uh, you know, strict enough with their kids. Well, guess what? Take one of these kids and put them into the home of a set of parents that you think, wow, these parents have got it figured out. They know how to parent. They will make those parents immediately look a whole lot less yeah, you know, active and strict. They'll become much more passive and permissive. In other words, I think it's challenging behavior causes parents to look clueless, not clueless parents that causes causing did, did challenging Did you see um, that clip of, um, of Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, when he was in India with his, his kids uh, no. recently? So he's there. They're trying to get the official photo. They're in front of some <laughs> monument. And one of his little kids is just having this massive meltdown. Oh, really? Like, and and he's the prime this. minister. And, and, and they're like running around saying, well, we got to get a good picture. You got to get him to settle down. And Trudeau said, no, no, kids do this. 
this is this is <laughs> like reality. So take the photo. I love it. And um, I'll, we'll talk. He and I'll talk later. It was a really cool moment, you know. And I, and I thought to myself, well, what if he's read your book? I'm not like, surprised because you know we do a lot of work in Canada, and I always <laughs> tell people like our, our work is twofold. It's first helping people shift their mindset from people do well if they want to to people do well if they can. It's about skill, not will. And then it's teaching them the approach. In Canada, we only have to do the second part. Because in Canada, by and large, people believe the best out of people. Yeah. They believe that if somebody's not doing well, it's not because they don't want to. It's not that they're trying to manipulate somebody. Eh, something's getting in their way. So, so can you kind of you know, tell us just in, in a brief way, what's collaborative about this model? What, mm. what, what, because yeah. obviously the collaborative part means working together. Yes, and thank you for, for raising this because I wouldn't want anybody to, to listen to this, especially Steve's mom, and, uh, and, and come away hey, with the notion that what we're going to do is we're going to find some tricky way exactly. to make people exactly. do what we want. Exactly. So because it's not a matter of force or coercion. Or no, a major tenet of this model is that it's not only that people who are struggling to meet expectations struggle with certain skills, it's that they have very good concerns very reasonable concerns and perspectives. The way they may express those, the solutions they choose, may not be the best. And I, I'm always saying to myself, I may not like somebody's solution to a problem, but I bet they have a good concern there. And so what collaborative problem solving is about is trying not to focus on the challenging behavior and instead trying to uncover what's that person's concern or perspective. And then not imposing my will by saying, no, this is how we're going to do it or how you're going to do it because maybe I have the power over you to make you do it. But instead, here's my concern or my perspective. And now that we've got two sets of concerns and perspectives, an equal weighting, not one overpowering the other, throwing it back to the person and saying, so how are we going to work this out? Let's see if we can come up with a solution that is actually mutually satisfactory. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And the great thing is you not only reduce challenging behavior, but you build relationship when you do that. And the other thing is both people are on the hook. If this is parent-child, uh, it's, it's parent and kid. If this is you know, a, a manager and their employee, it's both of them are on the hook to actually practice yeah. a whole bunch of skills. But it fosters, it fosters a connection. Mm. It fosters communication. Correct. It fosters attachment between two people and kind of like working towards a mutual goals, even though they may have different goals, but working together so that they can each get to the same place. That's right. So, and ultimately, I mean, what sort of had me say, you know what, I think there's a, a, another, a different book here, is I have people all the time say to me, uh, you know, I love this but, right? Uh, but you haven't met my mother-in-law. But, you know, this would never work with my spouse or my mean? kid. I love this and, actual uh, but. That's not what you meant. No, I didn't no, mean okay. that, Steve. He keeps going. He keeps he going to these. He can't like skill not well. He, he can't he help, can't help himself. We call that. Can we uh, collaborate. Maybe this? I should use collaborative problem solving to help him get. Just to get, clarify, the, the skill we're talking about there is impulse control. Because most people might have that thought, but they edit it. They don't, don't share know. it. My wife calls it something different. They don't share but keep it. Going. Yeah, well, <laughs> give me a call. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what we found because we we're, we're here in an academic teaching hospital, yeah. right? When we're out teaching this in the world, we study its impact. And when we see that we can dramatically reduce arrests well, and that, tell us about the and summonses in the, well, with the New York City police. That's what I was going to just ask you about because like I know about those studies. So why don't you tell them, because this is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, you've worked with law enforcement. I mean, how many cops were there in New York, like 5,000 well, police officers that's a wild in New York City? One. That's been great, uh, uh, just incredibly fulfilling work to do that we're still doing. With so the there were like New York City over 5,000 police officers who in, are in the schools. In the New, in the New York City schools. Right. Who were, weren't 
working in an effective way. Well, and by no fault of their own. I mean, just like I like to say, you know, kids do well if they can. Guess what? Yeah. Cops do well if they can, so too. So tell us a story. That's a great story. Well, they, you know, they, what, they find themselves called into all kinds of disciplinary issues in the schools. And, uh, you know, when you've got a, a kid who's already in the midst of some difficulty with a teacher, for instance, or a peer, and somebody shows up with a badge and a gun and things like that, it does not have the effect that people think it would, which is to calm. Actually, it, it, it sort of flares things. Yeah. And, and so um, there were all kinds of situations where the cops were having to issue summonses and arrests, and the cops themselves were being assaulted at alarming rates. And, and this is, contributes hugely to what people refer to as the school-to-prison pipeline. And uh, the training director there for the school safety division at the NYPD, a, a great woman, um, she, she uh, took one of our trainings and was thinking, you know what, I want to get everybody trained in this. And I think one of the neatest things was the first thing we did was just a few hours of introductory exposure to these ideas to every single officer. And they had a dramatic reduction in assaults, in summonses, in arrests. And so, you know, when people say, I think this is great, but we have the research to show this is going to work in state psychiatric hospitals with people who are floridly psychotic. This is going to work in uh, the toughest schools and the poorest congressional districts in the United States of America. It can work with your partner, your kid, your spouse, um, the person you manage as well. Uh, but you have to embrace the mindset first, and then you practice the process. Yeah, this is what I love about it. It's, um, you know, so if you said to somebody, hey, it turns out that if you show up with a badge and a gun, people get stirred up. They don't calm down. I was like, yeah, duh. It was, of course, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, like, but yet we do this we do over <laughs> and over and over again. So a lot of a lot of your work, you and I train together. I mean, so I've been reading. I remember your dissertation. You talked <laughs> to me about your dissertation right. you did at Berkeley. The a lot of your work is about saying, hey, can we take a kind of just take a step back, make sure we're asking the right questions yes. here, and use a, almost kind of a. Common, Common sense. sense. I don't want to. That makes it kind of dumbed down, but it but it feels kind of obvious it, to me. It is. You know? Look, my my grandfather, one of the wisest people I know, he's 101, and uh, he's got all these great things he says to me. One of the things he says to me uh, is, you know, the thing about common sense is that it ain't too common. Right. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. with with one of the clearest places I see this is when you look in schools and other places when kids start to misbehave, they start to escalate. Generally, what happens is an adult will come up to them. And I'm sure you've done this in your they, own homes, yeah, and you say, right. "If you continue to do that, here's what's going to happen." Or because you just did that, here's what happened. And I mean, common sense. I apply this to my own life, right? If I'm getting pissed off about something, and somebody says to me, "Hey, if you continue to behave that way, life is about to get worse," it's not like I'm like. Oh, wow. Oh, I feel so relieved. Thank you. I feel so much better. Like, <laughs> here I was getting pissed off and knowing it's going to get worse. Thank you. Thank like, you. that's right. I, it's so calming. No, it just right. throws emotional fuel on the fire. And, and so that that's an example of common sense. on the freeway sense. slips me off. I am going to tailgate him. as far, I, I won't do this, but it actually, it is common sense not to do that. Nevertheless, these lower regions of our brain take over, and we do these things that in the absence of being mindful, we... Screw it up. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot in our trainings. You're so right about this. So many of our responses are not driven by the smart part of our brain. It's they're so damn they're, they're, they're driven by the, by the brain. emotional part. But, but so how wrong. do you help people stay, use a fancy word, regulated enough so their cortex, the smart part of their brain, can stay engaged? You have to make sure that they're not getting too pissed off themselves. Yeah. And one of the ways we do that is by having people look at challenging behavior in a more humane, compassionate way. Because if you're not doing something I want, 
but I'm thinking skill not will, it's much easier for me to partner and align and help. If I think that you're just pushing my buttons or being lazy yeah. or not trying hard enough, you're, you're going to get pissed. It's going to get me going. Yeah, so you've got to bring the emotional level down. Which everybody recognizes but it, it says it's easier said than done. But one of the ways we do it is by having people have this mantra in their head of people yeah. do well if they can. If he could do well, he would do well. If he's not, I don't think it's just that he's not trying hard enough. And, and just so people don't feel too guilty, I, think I just feel this is important to say, this is so much easier said than done, right? Oh. right. Like, oh. like, so right. you can you can say skill not well, skill not well, but when you're in the midst of getting pissed well, off, and this is, a, but there's a very important point here, which yeah. is that the time to do what we call collaborative problem solving is not when the problems happen. That's what I was wondering. Right. At. So yeah. it's a myth, actually, that these kids and these people sort of erupt out of the blue, and you're always walking on eggshells. It is not. True, even in the most difficult of circumstances, you can find predictable triggers. The problems that happen in, in homes, in classrooms, in workplaces, they're the same things that happen again and again. And once you identify that, then you have the luxury of, let's have a conversation before it happens. Working between, in between the Proactively. cracks. Proactively. Yeah. So, you know, we, have, we make the distinction between emergent collaborative problem solving in the midst of the problem and proactive. And if it's proactive, I can catch you when you're calm and I can have given some thought to how I'm going to approach this, yeah. so I'm calm to begin with, and now we have a much better chance of yeah, arriving yes, at well, it's kind Well, of, it's kind of like most parents know that you know, when, you, when your two-and-a-half-year-old has a meltdown and a temper tantrum, it's not the time, or your four-and-a-half-year-old, or your 17-year-old, it's not the time to actually be able to talk in a rational, reasonable way with, that, with another person. Correct. And these are things we know. And, and at the same time, look, I'm a parent of three myself. You know, the first thing you'll say, you think to yourself is, well, that's great, but I mean, I don't have time to do that, which is so interesting. Same thing we hear in classrooms all the time. I uh, hear all the time, I love this collaborative problem solving stuff. I just don't have time. I got 24 kids in my class. I got to teach the curriculum. I don't have time. But the reality is, what's sapping most of our time and energy? Or Dealing <laughs> with these recurrent <laughs> behaviors. It also doesn't yeah. take anywhere near. I think when people say that, it's, it's actually hard work to take that time. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a skill one has to learn oneself. Well, you have to keep it. And it makes you, time. in the beginning, it feels like slogging through mud. Because yeah. it's, it's really hard. I mean, well, like I when I walk people through in there, it sounds easy. As you were saying, when you try to do this, I mean, the first thing that happens to all of us is we have to bite our tongue yeah. to try to listen to the other person's perspective and gather information without jumping in with how we're going to solve the problem. So, so we, we have to stop in a second, but, but, but just since, since it is hard, it's, it's, it's humanistic, it supports self-esteem, it supports relationships, it supports communication, it validates that there are reasonable concerns that everybody has, all these positive things. But as Steve was pointing out and you were, you were reinforcing, it's easier said than done. So what's, as we close, what's your advice once parents have read your book, or looked on your website for the basic principles. How do they maintain this really difficult thing when it's really, really hard to kind of like keep that frame of mind in place when you're so frustrated and you're just starting out? Right. Well, I think the first thing to do is have some compassion for yourself. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about really is uh, you can start with yourself and start with a little reflection as you read this on where are some of my strengths and some of the skills that I struggle with? Because those skills that I struggle with are the things that are going to get in the way of me being able to pull this off. Mm -hmm. And so first off, I'm going to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. But really, it's about then saying center around this notion of 
skill not will, because that's going to keep you calm if you can be thinking about that as you go about it. The other thing is, I say to people, you got to be patient. I mean, it, it takes time. It's like any new thing. We're, we're practicing skills as we do this, and it's really hard. So you, you take it one step at a time. The nice thing is you don't have to do it perfectly to get, quote, results. You'll start building relationship and seeing some reductions in challenging behavior just from trying your best to sort of mess around with the concepts mm -hmm. and trying to get used to them. So you know it doesn't what? have to be perfection. Yeah, I love the comment people say, well, I tried and it didn't work. And you're like, this, this is not like taking an appendix out. Like it's not, it doesn't <laughs> well, work. Well, that's way. right. And what I say yeah. to people when they say that is I said, you know, it depends on your definition of work. Yeah. Right. If you mean we haven't solved the problem yet, if you mean that it's not total harmony yet, I agree. You're right. <laughs> but you know what? It's a process right. and you are building relationship and the other thing is you're building skill. I mean, let's go back to where we started here. The premise of this book is um, challenging behavior is a result of a lack of skill, not will. So if you're going to address challenging behavior, you also, we have to help each other build skills. And our research has shown even us adults, when we do this, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. When we do this, adults, we develop our own neurocognitive skills. We get better at things like empathy and perspective taking the more that we practice this. So I would say practice never makes perfect, but practice makes better. So remember, people do well if they can. It's about skill, not will. Anyone can change. Practice makes better. Well, I want to thank you very much for being here. And everybody, check out this book, Changeable, and go to the website, Think Kids. Uh, well, you have to, is mghthinkkids.org? Uh, thinkkids.org think or for the book, changeable.info. Okay. And so um, if you have any questions, comments, let us know. Uh, we're here at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds. Thanks for listening and watching. I'm Gene Boresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks, guys.